everyone. Thanks for checking out the Citizens Podcast. We are the high school student ministry at Maranatha Bible Church, and we meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. in the student wing. If you enjoy this podcast, we would love it if you posted it on your Instagram story and tag at NBC Citizens. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy. Thank you again for being here. Thank you again, worship team. Please give them a round of applause if you may. Thank you. They really love you guys. Wow. All right. Now we get it. Let's not love them too much, right? Let's save some love for the other people. Um, uh, Thank you again for being here. I appreciate uh, all of you coming this morning, being a part of our service here as we continue our study throughout the book of Acts. Uh, It's been uh, quite a few weeks now that we've been studying and kind of just covering some of the chapters that we've seen thus far. We're at chapter 13 uh, today, so you can flip on over there and just get ahead. But uh, before we do, I just kind of want to give you a recap of what we've talked about, uh, specifically what we mentioned last week, because last week we did talk about a lot. We went over four chapters um, uh, of the book of Acts, and we didn't look at every specific verse, but we looked at the big ideas and what was happening throughout those chapters. Um, And Today I want to build off of that, continue that, uh, but before we do that, just wanted to touch base with what we're seeing here in the book of Acts. Uh, Last week we talked about how all multiplication essentially comes at a cost. Uh, Last week we continued this series in talking about how the gospel is advancing throughout the world at this point, right? God's promises are coming to fruition, what Jesus said is coming true, but we see that in order to strive um, for unity, uh, we have to and we will endure persecution and trials, uh, difficulties, and we have to be willing to sacrifice in that sense for the sake of the gospel. When we looked at the chapters here in the book of Acts, when we looked at chapters 8 through uh, 12 last week, we see that happening. We see this body of believers actively sacrificing for the sake of the gospel. And as I mentioned before, as Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, which is the key theme verse of this study, that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, right? And they would be witnesses throughout Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the rest of the world. Exactly what he said was going to happen is starting to happen. It's taking place now. And As we look throughout history, as we look at even these chapters here, we see that despite Jesus saying this would happen, and in fact, I would say because Jesus said this would happen, naturally the enemy wants to prevent it from taking place. We see that as you look throughout history that there is constant persecution against these believers. That people are constantly facing opposition. And yet, while the gospel is opposed While people are fighting against it, every time they fight against it, it grows back stronger and it increases and it uh, spreads. It's almost like a virus, if you would think, right? How it just is contagious and, and, and spreads rapidly and you try to fight it and it builds up immunities to it and comes back even more powerful and stronger. That's what's happening here with the gospel. People are trying to prevent the spread of the gospel. What's happening is it's just getting even worse for them. They can't control it. They can't contain it because God said it would happen. 
That's happening here. People are trying to destroy it, and yet they are not succeeding. On the surface, on the surface it may seem like they are. Right? Remember, this is a legitimate empire. This is the Roman Empire that we're talking about that's persecuting these Christians. Let me ask you this, fellas. How often do you think of the Roman Empire? Often. often. Okay. <laughs> I just thought that was a perfect time to use that. I'd never use that again. Probably never say that again in my life. However, uh, it's a perfect time to do so. So anyways, Roman Empire. I don't know how many times you think about it. Ladies, I don't know how many times you think about it. However, the Roman Empire was, if we can all agree, a very legitimate empire, right? You guys, raise your hand. Everybody has heard about the Romans, right? In your history classes, everybody knows what I'm talking about. These are people that were beyond their time. These are the people that are persecuting Christians, um, if you were to kind of put an idea or um, a geographic um, picture to their empire, it would be from India all the way to England. They control all of this territory. Anybody here been to Rome before? Anybody been there? Italy? Nobody? That's fine. I haven't either. I've not been there Never been there. However, I do intend to go one day. I would love to go. I would love to go see it. I am enamored by the Italian people and Italian culture. That is my dream to go one day. Um, One day I will, but nonetheless, I do know a little bit about it, and you probably do as well. But if you have been there, you have seen uh, for yourself that there are a lot of things that, you know, we would read about here that are still in existence there now. Like, if you go to Rome, if you're there, you can actually walk on, drive on streets that were made 2,000 years ago. These are still in function today, right? And that's crazy. We ought to take some, uh, some pages out of their book because every time I go outside, there's new construction being done on roads because there's no roads that seem to be uh, adequate enough. And so this is incredible. This is a, a place, an empire that is beyond their times, technology, and it just way more advanced than everybody else. And, and history and time has proven that to be the case. Right? Go there and you'll see architecture. Everything is still standing. There's a lot that's still present that you can witness and see for yourself. This is a massive empire, very powerful, and they are the ones that are leading this push against Christianity. And this isn't like, um, you know, any, any kind of thing that we may even see here in our country, right? When we think about persecution, we think of we sit alone at a lunch table or we um, don't get invited to go to a certain party. We don't get invited to hang out with a certain friend group, right? When I'm talking about persecution here, I'm not talking about this, uh, only this, but I'm talking about imprisonment. I'm talking about uh, being killed, right? These people were brutally killed. We read about Stephen, who was literally just murdered, stoned in a very brutal way. He's not the only one. These people were crucified, right? Like Jesus. Some of them upside down. They were not only crucified, but they were decapitated, right? Done. And we'll read about something like that today. They were um, thrown into arenas with lions for people's entertainment. 
I'm not making this stuff up. Read about it. I mean, even your schools will tell you this to be the case. These are people that believe in the Lord so much that they're sacrificing their lives and giving their lives to the Lord in, in these brutal manners. Right? This is not something that we should take lightly, and this is not something they took lightly. This is serious. These are people that were most likely hung up on city gates, city walls, left there to die, maybe even have already died, burned at a stake and just left there for people to see, don't do this or else that's gonna be what's gonna happen to you. And you think, well, surely, surely the gospel's not gonna grow in an area like that. If I'm somebody that believes and if I'm seeing all these people, that's what's happening to them, why would I want that? And yet, that's exactly what happens. The gospel grows despite this incredible persecution that they face. But still, the reality is that most likely a lot of people that were during that time would have asked themselves, what's going on? Why is this happening? God is good, right? That's what we're hearing. That's what the gospel is all about, how he loves us. And we just sang that this morning. But how can that be the case? A lot of the times, even today, we struggle in kind of reconciling those two things together. God is good, and yet this happens. That happens. This has happened to me. How can that be true? How is that the case? That's what we talked about last week, how there will be times where there is chaos. There's a lot of stuff that goes on in our lives that we can't explain. It looks out of control. It looks like God isn't sovereign over everything in our lives like we read about, like we hear about. And yet... Despite the hardships that we go through, the loss, the heartbreak that we experience and that we face, I want us to remember that as chaotic as things may be, God is always in control. Things are never out of his control. I used last week the illustration, God is not like an emergency team, right, or first response team that shows up, right? He's also not like a firefighter. He doesn't have a pager on him and goes, oh, wow, oh, man, Brian's in trouble. Let me run to go figure things out, put out this fire in his life. He's not on standby waiting for things to happen. No, God is proactive and he is working and he's in control over everything. As a matter of fact, he knows everything. And yet, we don't know because we are finite beings. We get distressed, we get worried, we get anxious, we fear, we get um, afraid. We get sad because we can't see the bigger picture. We can't understand everything, and we don't, and we never will, as a matter of fact. I talked about that last week, that it's impossible for us to try to wrap our minds around what a God would think like, what God thinks like. He is so much bigger than us. He is infinite, and it's impossible for anybody with a limited mind or a limited being in general to think like or comprehend the complexity of a God who is not who operates in a totally different way than you and I. And so all we're left with is, hey, God is good, and I'm gonna go through these things. How can both these things be true? How can I know that God is still looking out for me? How does he care for me, even despite all the things that I face? The reason we can know that for certainty, as we said last week, was because of the cross. Despite us being perplexed, God reigns in his ruling over the chaos that happens in and around our lives. All things are under his control, and we can know that he has your best interest, that he is looking out for you, that he has things under control because of the cross. 
because he sent his son for you to die a sacrificial death. If that wasn't the case, if he did not love you and I, heads up, Jesus would not have come. Jesus would have not taken your place on the cross, but he did. He did. He suffered and he died. He was mocked, and then three days later after he died, he rose again, not because he just wanted to show off, not because um, he wanted to prove a point, no, because he loves you. Because he does have your best interest. Because he has overcome. Because he does desire to bless you. And that he does deeply care for you. He does sustain you even when we can't see it. And when you need his grace, it will show up. Again, all things are under his control. And it's proven here throughout time. It's proven here throughout the book of Acts. When things are chaotic, when things are getting really bleak, when people are dying left, right, and center, you're watching your friends give their lives to God and you're wondering what's going on, people here can look back to the cross and know God is good. You know, here the Roman Empire is persecuting everybody. They hate Christians and they're doing everything to exterminate Christianity. But as you push further into history and you look a little bit further ahead and you look at just a couple of hundred years later, 351 AD, during the rule of Emperor Constantine, over half of the entire Roman Empire would now recognize Jesus Christ as Lord. When we're in the middle of things and trials, it may seem like God is not in control, but surely enough, we will see that God is in control of all things. He is sovereign over everything. Even when things are tough, God is in control. And that was a big idea here last week as we're talking about the gospel advancing, yet in the middle of all that, there's persecution that's happening. There's death that's happening. And it's hard for us to recognize that sometimes in the middle of the chaos. But it's true. Even if we don't see it, it doesn't mean that it's not. And today, as we continue to read, I want to further expand on this uh, idea of gospel multiplication as we've been talking about. Talk about how, uh, of course, God's gospel advancement is inevitable, right? God cannot fail. <laughs> God says something is going to happen. Uh, sure enough, it will. It will take place. So when Jesus says, you will receive the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses in so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And now we're getting to see that happen. And it was always going to happen because he said so. And here we're continuing to watch the gospel spread, right? Here in chapter 13, where we're going to be this morning, we're going to look at the church in Antioch, which became the church's new center of operations. This was kind of the hub of all believers now, since most believers had left the church in Jerusalem and had scattered because of the persecution. Uh, this is about 300 miles away from uh, Jerusalem, and this is uh, what we call and understand now as modern-day Turkey. I'm sure that you've heard that before, uh, but if you didn't, this is in uh, Syria. Uh, Antioch here is now this new uh, hub for believers. It's a really interesting place. It's about a few miles away from a port, 
which made it really nice and convenient for trading, for people to pass through and come by. And so this became the new center of operations for apostles, for the people, for the church. And so uh, this is where um, we see these men, right? We, we find in the end of chapter 12 that uh, Saul, who is also Paul, that we know is renamed as that, and you may recognize him as Paul, um, we see that alongside him is Barnabas. We see John Mark as well with them. They are all here at this church in Antioch. They're all gathered here. They had come back from giving these gifts to the church in Jerusalem, and they have returned here in chapter 13. And we're going to read a little bit about this church here and these men and what's happening here. Just a few verses. But as you continue to read, you'll see that they are called to go out from this place here in Antioch. Ham and Barnabas, and I mean Saul when I say that. But before we get into these uh, couple of verses here, it's not going to be too many. I do want to zero in on a few verses. Last week, we talked about four chapters. This week, we're going to talk about three verses. Um, uh, But we want to talk about what's happening within these verses and also talk about the context of what we see here because I think this is a really important point for us today. Um, Before I do that, let me just ask you this. What are some reasons why people don't get along? Why are there people in your life that you think, oh, you know what, I just don't really like that person? What are some reasons that these people exist? Maybe it's not a personal thing. Maybe you just know of an idea over why so-and-so may not like so-and-so. Just give me obscure answers, right? doesn't have to be personal. Just give me something. Why don't you think people get along where people don't like other people? Okay. Huh? Sorry. Rude. Selfishness, annoying. <laughs> Pride. What do you think? Okay. Brandon, what do you think? Personality. They like different things. Grady, what do you think? Yeah. Literally nobody else in the world named Grady. (laughs) Appearances. Yeah, no, I mean, it's true. Anybody else? Yeah, Max. Okay, perfect, perfect. Sarah? Priorities. Okay, anybody else have anything? history. Oh, they got beef. Yeah, they got pre-existing history. Um, As you can see, there's a few different reasons, right? There are tons of different reasons why that's the case, why people don't get along. But that's kind of what I want to talk about today. Um, And as you'll see here in the title, um, the, the, the title of these couple of verses here and the message that I want to just challenge us with this morning is about and surrounding gospel reconciliation. Gospel reconciliation is what I want to talk about. Talking about individuals, right, with history. Talking about individuals who don't maybe see eye to eye or haven't or didn't. And how the gospel can do something quite miraculous within those relationships. As we read here in chapter 13, and we're going to start in verse 1, and again, just look at a few verses here and I'll turn back to a few different verses in the book of Acts and uh, also look at a few different verses throughout Scripture. But uh, this will be the main part of our text here. Um, 
as you look at verse 1, it says here, again, that these men are at this church in Antioch in Syria. And it kind of lists off a few different leaders that are there. Uh, and this will be important because we're going to spend most of our time talking about this one verse. But this is what it says, verse 1. Now there were in the church of Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Heron the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So again here, just want to remind you that this is a hub of the Christian church. This is a gospel center church. You know, from this short passage here, and even from the context that we can understand from this passage, we see that to be the case. We can have actually confidence and know for certainty that this was a gospel-centered church. A few of the things that we just read there kind of indicate that. Um, one, they were uh, listening to God. Right? It doesn't explicitly say that they were listening, but it says that the Holy Spirit calls them, calls these two men to go out, and we see them respond. So that happens when you're listening, right? When you're attentive to something, to someone. Because they were attentive to God, they responded to what he called these men to. But they were not only attentive, they were open-handed with what God had given them. Not just their resources, right? Not just being generous, as we know that to be a, a mark of these churches early on. But they were generous, not just with the resources and finances that they had, but even with the people that they had. Right? Imagine if, you know, there was a famous uh, pastor that was here, right? Somebody that was well-known. This was a brilliant speaker. Right? A lot of the times, what happens is, selfishly, we want to have that to ourselves. We sometimes even elevate these, these, these men and women into levels and, and standards that maybe even exceed where they should be. But these people understood that these are incredible leaders. These are incredible people that they have had the opportunity to be ministered by. And yet instead of resenting the Holy Spirit's calling for them to leave, instead of being bitter about it and saying, no, we're keeping them here. They're going to stay here. They listened to God and sent them on their way. They heard what God had called them to and were open-handed with it. They laid hands on these people and sent them on their way because Although they had done some brilliant things in their lives, they had had a major impact. It's not really those people, although those people will and should, should be um, praised to some extent, right? We, we should um, encourage these individuals, but really the one that is working is the one that is working through them. It's God. So as they had faith and trusted that God would speak to them and provide for them while they're here, they know that he will continue to do so even whilst these two men are not. They were open-handed, attentive to God, willing to sacrifice even in that sense. But a, another thing that I want to talk about, and this will be the big um, thing that we, we kind of uh, consider this morning, is also this key aspect of relational dynamics. 
Now let me explain what I mean by that, the existing relational dynamics here. The fact that Paul, right, again, Saul and Barnabas are working together, they get called to go out together and spread the gospel together, that in of itself, them working together is a miracle. Normally or naturally, you would never think that would take place, right? This, as I'm going to show you, is, uh, is miraculous in and of itself, that God would bring these two people together and send them out into the mission field to work alongside one another to bring the gospel to others. If you look back at Acts chapter 4, this is where we first find Barnabas. Barnabas here, it says, thus Joseph, in verse 36. So again, this is his, his name, Joseph. Um, he is known as Joseph. However, it says here that they also called him uh, by Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was a Levite, a native of Cyprus. And it says here, if you remember, that he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now what's, what sticks out to me here is something that you and I both know, right? If there is one sign, if there is something that, gives, uh, that is a dead giveaway as to you are now part of a friend group, that you got the in, that you're, that you're accepted, it's this, you get a nickname, right? When you got a nickname from somebody... Your boys or your girls, like maybe, maybe not so much of a girl thing, I don't know, but I know for guys, everybody just got nicknames. Like my boy Jacob, right? That's Cake or Keika, right? He calls me, I don't even know, a, a Bri or, or B-Rye, right? There's just, there's just this tendency to nickname each other, to, to call each other different names because you have that level of intimacy. And we all know what I'm talking about, Right? And so here's, it's pretty obvious that these people, they really appreciate this guy. Joseph, who is now a.k.a. Barnabas, he, he's, he's in with these people. Talking about him and his relationship with the apostles, they've embraced him and they've brought him in. And he's one of the leaders of this church. And, and he's recognized as a figurehead in the midst of this body of believers. This is somebody that was respected, right? Somebody that was um, looked up to for being an encourager. Anybody know somebody like that that's just always encouraging you, always saying good things, always bringing positivity? I know one. I know several people like that um, who are just very positive. This is a person that was positive, somebody that was um, encouraging everybody, but not always just speaking life into others. He wasn't just an encourager, but he was also somebody that was generous. Again, we see he was open-handed with his things as well. He was willing to um, not just change his attitude and his perspective, but the Holy Spirit worked in his life. The gospel worked in his life in such a way that he took his things and, and sold his things and was willing to give for the sake of the gospel. And this is somebody that is generous in doing that. Somebody that is meaningful when he does that. We know that he is because we see the opposite, right? We talked about two couple or a couple, two people that looked at what he did and tried to replicate it but didn't have the right heart. And does anybody remember what happened to them? They died. They died. They just dropped dead because they were hypocrites. They tried to lie and they put on this facade 
That doesn't happen to Barnabas because what he is doing here is authentic. It is genuine. This is somebody that is an encourager who is part of the church, who wants to see the gospel move and progress and is, and is right in the thick of it, Put him, putting his money literally where his mouth is. And so this is who he is. This guy is legit. He becomes part of the leadership team here in Jerusalem, a key figure in the church. And on the other hand, we have Saul. Saul, if you look back at history, again, when we talk about Stephen, who was the first Christian martyr, meaning the first person to ever die for the Christian faith, when we look at Stephen, it says that Paul was there and he was present. He witnessed Stephen's murder. And he didn't just witness it. If you read the first verse of chapter 8 in this book, it says this, Paul approved of his execution. And if you go on to read, it says this about Saul. And there arose on the day of persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So here's Barnabas kind of person he was and now we see that there's a a direct opposite in Saul two completely different men one was doing everything that he could to lift up the church to build it up and Saul he was doing everything that he possibly could to tear it down verse 3 says that Saul was ravaging the church that he would go into homes and drag men and women out of their homes and imprison them. This is something that, of course, is not stated in the Bible explicitly once more, but I think it is safe to imply it here. It doesn't say that Barnabas knew these people. It doesn't tell us exactly who these people are that he's dragging, but I can't assume that Barnabas would have known at least some of the individuals that were affected by this. You know, I have the privilege to work here at NBC. I work at Maranatha as one of the pastors. And, you know, we hear a lot about the congregation. You know, weekly, regularly, daily, we're hearing about prayer requests, things that are happening to the body of believers. And if I don't hear directly from somebody, I hear it from one of the staff members. And so you better believe that in this context, when there are people from the congregation, from the body there being dragged out of their homes, that the leadership people would know that this is happening. And in their position, they would have known them personally as well. Barnabas, he knows people that are being taken out of their homes, having their lives destroyed, um, crushed by this man. And Barnabas, um, again, somehow ends up working alongside this guy to build up the kingdom of God, to advance the gospel. How does that happen? How, how do two people who are totally opposites and one had probably every reason to be bitter at the other end up working together for the kingdom of God? The reason being because the gospel reconciles people. Right? I asked this question earlier, why do people not get along? And you don't have to raise your hand for this one, but anyone here personally have somebody that they don't get along with. God bless you. Just think about maybe who that individual is. 
why you don't get along with them, right? Maybe there might be an individual that, you know, you just don't like for whatever reason. Let me give you one reason that nobody said here. Um, Maybe we don't like individuals, not because of what they've done to you, but what they've done to the person that you love. No, sometimes we just don't really like people or we kind of just jump on this hate bandwagon, not because of what they've done directly to you, not because you've been impacted by this individual, but your loved one has. And so we, we kind of just tag along with it, right? If I were to ask you, hey, why don't you like this person? Well, this person broke their promise. They're not trustworthy. Well, what, what promise did they break to you? Oh, actually, it wasn't me. It was my friend. How many of us, don't raise your hand, but how many of us could say that? That we have resentment towards other people, that there is strife and conflict in our lives, not because that person has done anything to us, but they've done it to somebody else. And so we just go with our, our friends and, and treat others poorly a lot of the times, unjustly, not because of what they've done to us, but what they've done to somebody else. You know, I know that a lot of us know what that's like. Um, these strenuous relational dynamics we have don't necessarily stem from um, the relationships that we have with certain individuals, but mutual individuals, and we kind of just tag along. And first and foremost, I do want to just say this. We have to ask ourselves if that even is the attitude that is warranted. Is that something that we should do? Are you right in doing that? Is that the correct behavior? You have to examine your heart and you have to push back against that kind of attitude. In a lot of the cases, it's tough to do that. A lot of the cases, it's unavoidable. It's hard for us. You know, in this case, when we look at Barnabas and you see kind of the, the anguish that he's caused, right? Saul caused so many, it's kind of impossible to avoid these feelings of resentment, of bitterness, However, although it's not right, we, we, we have to strive to not have these feelings. And it's hard for us to kind of do that out of our own strength. And yet somehow he finds a way. Somehow Barnabas, who's lost loved ones probably because of this guy, finds it in him to work alongside him for the advancement of the gospel. Why? Why does he decide to work alongside Saul and now go through incredibly different, difficult circumstances? These men would now be willing to sacrifice their lives together for the sake of the gospel. How is it possible that, um, that all of a sudden these two men are working alongside each other for the work of God? And that is because the gospel reconciles people. The two primary leaders here at the church in Antioch are two men who were once enemies, and yet the gospel has reconciled them. And it's not just these two leaders either. If you continue to read here in this chapter, there are other leaders that are present, one of them being Mannion. And literally the only thing we know about Mannion is this. He was a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now who was that? Herod the Tetrarch was a man who married his stepbrother's wife, oof. Yeah, already a bad start. 
Herod the Tetrarch was also somebody who got so drunk one night that he was lusting after his stepdaughter and he granted her anything that he owned. He said, hey, anything in my kingdom you can have. And she says, hey, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Crazy story. That, talk about anger management problems. That, um, anyways, she asked for it and he delivers. He brings the head of John the Baptist for his stepdaughter. He murders John the Baptist. He orders that to happen. He was also the guy that thought Jesus was a wizard the night he was arrested. He was sent, uh, Pilate was sent, uh, sent Jesus to him and he wanted him to perform magic tricks and miracles and Jesus refused and so his men mocked him and, and beat him and sent him back to Pilate. This is the kind of man that was a lifelong friend of this leader in the gospel-centered church. How does that make any sense? It's like me saying, yeah, uh, we're bringing on this uh, new pastor. He's been lifelong friends with Bin Laden his whole life, and he's a great guy. We probably think that makes no sense. How is that possible? For, uh, for us, that doesn't make, uh, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't sound logical, right? You're going to trust that individual? That's the person that you're going to choose to be a leader in the church? Just from his mutual friends, uh, you, would, you would kind of presume that he might not be a good candidate. But this isn't just a mutual friend. This is a childhood friend, somebody he grew up around. They were best friends. And the only reason that we have an explanation for it is the gospel. Because of the power of the gospel. And the power that it has to change somebody. The person that we once were no longer defines who we are today because in Christ we have been forgiven, made new. And let me tell you, and I say this with the, in the nicest way possible, you're not that special in that if you think that you are too far gone, right, that you've sinned too much, that you are beyond forgiveness. That's not true. You're not the first individual to be that way. God's grace is sufficient. His death is enough. It covers any one of our sins. One of the most egregious lies that we tell ourselves is we've sinned too much. I, I, I can't be reconciled. I can't be used by God because I'm a sinner, because I'm terrible. And you are correct in the sense that you are terrible. We're all terrible. We're all terrible sinners. None of us are perfect, and yet God has sent his son to die for you and for me, and he forgives. He reconciles us to the Father. He is greater than any of your sin. You cannot outsin his grace. He forgives and uses the broken. We've talked about combating hypocrisy, and I challenge you to find accountability, right, to expose some of the sin in your lives. But there's something that I don't need to know. I don't need to know the details to tell you this, that whatever it is that you've done, God can forgive you. And God can use you in the case that we see here with Mannion and we see with Saul. That God can reconcile people to each other and to him because of the gospel. When naturally the order of things, logic would say, reason and culture and the lives of people here in the world would say, that doesn't make sense, that doesn't add up, it's impossible because of the gospel, it is. 
Every man here in this leadership position was different. Barnabas, who was a holistic Jewish man. We see Simeon. We see Lucian, who are uh, two African men. We see Saul, who was a different kind of Jewish man from Barnabas. They come from cultural backgrounds. They look different as you know, somebody once said with appearances. They, they were different in every way, with different backgrounds. They looked different. They sounded different. They talked different. They had different histories, and yet God is able to use them all for his glory and for his kingdom. God is able to reconcile each and every one of us, not just to himself, but to one another, because the gospel has created a new body, a new people, Rather than further driving a wedge between people like we unfortunately continue to see happen today with differences where people are split with politics, everything. Everybody is desperate uh, to find their own niche and their groups and to be apart and to be different than everybody else. And there's division and fighting and conflict. We look at history, right? Somebody said that too. Beef, the things that have happened in the past and we cling on to those things the gospel makes way with all of that and brings us together, reconciles us with the Father and with each other. Galatians 3, 27, 28. For as many as you were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor flea. There is no male nor female. For you all are one in Christ Jesus. These men who were seeking and listening to God made an ongoing habit of repentance, confession, and they fought for unity in order to achieve harmony. So let me ask you this. I'm not going to go into 2 Corinthians there, Luke, but I, I'm going to end with this instead. Let me just ask you a few questions that I want you to think about and, and, and ponder and, and meditate on as you leave today. What's holding you back from sharing the love of Christ with others? Do you know and understand the gospel? Because if you do, you know for whatever reason it is that you have against somebody from loving on them and sharing the gospel with them and having fellowship with them, it's not a valid reason because you have already been forgiven and you are called to forgive as Christ has forgiven you. And so whatever excuse that you have, do this. Throw it away because you don't have any. What is the reason? Here are a few questions that maybe you think about and this may apply to you as we end. Is there someone you need to apologize to? Is there somebody that you need to forgive? Is there someone you need to stop judging and assuming is too far gone for God to forgive? Do you need to stop doing that with yourself? Do you need to start looking past people's exterior, their appearance and their status, and love on them the way that God loves you? Have you prioritized your, your reputation instead of loving others the way that God has loved you? What's keeping you from reconciling with others? Because this right here, this testimony of these men that work together for the body of Christ are examples to us that whatever those excuses are, they pale in comparison. God has made way with all that because of the gospel we can be reconciled to him and then through him with one another as well. In doing so, we are models and examples of the reconciliation that we have with God. Because of our love for others, the reconciliation that we have with other people, we model what God has done for us. 
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for this time that we have, Lord, to be challenged by your word, to see these men who come from different backgrounds, different, different histories, yet, Lord, you use them, and, and you have forgiven them, and, and they're doing great things for your name. They have done great things. Lord, I, I pray that that would be a challenge for us, to know that we're not too far gone. Nobody is too far gone. And whatever's happened in the past with, with us and with another individual, whoever it is, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would forgive, be apologetic, Lord. Look to you as a model and example. Look to these men here in the book of Acts, Lord. We thank you again for all that you've done. Pray that you would work in our hearts and stir in our hearts this afternoon. We pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, good morning and citizens. Hope you guys have a great day. Take care.